We knew the new sister wife would be trouble. Angus fell for her like a hammer at a circus tent, and we all felt it in our hearts that something had shifted, and there'd be no going back. Ruthann was blonde and a little too beautiful, and after we met her for the first time, I saw the stars in my husband's eyes. He hardly ate any of Clara's lamb stew, even though she's the best cook in the family by far, and it had always been his favorite. Is this what he was like when he met me? I asked Clara that night. Clara was the first wife, the legal wife, and matriarch. Angus thought he was the one who held the family together, but really, it was Clara. She was firm, loving, and steadfast. Sometimes my marriage to her felt more real and more intimate than my marriage to Angus. We had a bond that sister wives and other plural families envied. Of course he was, Clara said. It was love at first sight with you, Hannah. You know that. I'm not sure I would have accepted Angus's marriage proposal if it weren't for Clara. She's the one who wooed me during the courting phase. After Angus had expressed a desire for me to join the family, the three of us got to know each other. After two seasons, I accepted. How will it work? I asked. We'll decide on that together, said Clara. Our plural marriage was successful because it was a true collaboration. We had a common goal and all worked hard towards it. When I was having a stressful day with the children, I would wonder how non-plural families managed. Only one mother in a house seemed a hard way to live. My parents were of the same faith and they said it all the time. It takes a village to raise a family. Now I know why. Some days are just crammed too full of life and you'd feel overwhelmed if you didn't have a sister to lean on. I thanked God for Clara every day. I'm not saying there was never jealousy. That would be dishonest. But Clara was always generous with Angus and me especially in the beginning when I was getting used to the dynamics of the house. I was supposed to sleep in Angus's bed every second week, and I battled with that. Clara accommodated my insecurity by granting permission for me to spend any night of the month with him, even if she was the first wife and it was her turn. Won't you miss him? I asked. I didn't want to make trouble. Clara laughed. Angus and I have a solid relationship. He's not going anywhere. Besides, I'd appreciate the time to myself. I'm behind on my reading. After a few weeks of borrowing Angus during Clara's turn, I realized I was no longer envious of their time together, and we went back to alternating beds every week. I picked a bunch of wildflowers for her to say thank you, and she hugged me. I also came to realize how much I enjoyed my own company. On the nights I wasn't with Angus, I felt liberated and I appreciated the rare time on my own when I wasn't busy with the seven children in the house and the never-ending housework. I thought that I had conquered the problematic emotion of jealousy, but when Ruth Ann arrived in our lives, I realized I had not. We began the courting process, and I dreaded every encounter with Ruth Ann. I found her superficial. She laughed too much, too loudly, and yes, she was too beautiful. I pressed Clara for her opinion, but she was, as always, too gracious to concede that Ruth Ann was anything but lovely. Eventually, at the risk of appearing unkind, I had to address it with Angus. I waited until he was in a good mood and then cautiously brought the conversation around to the impending engagement. 
I don't think Ruth Ann is a suitable match for our family, I said. He looked alarmed. I'm sorry, I blurted. I wish it was different. I know you really like her. Like her? He said. I'm in love with her. And she's agreed to marry us. His words cut through me like a plowshare. I wanted to lie in bed and weep. Instead, I stood there in our bedroom and stared at the carpet. I felt betrayed in the worst way. As a sister wife, the only power you have is deciding who to accept into your family, and Angus was undermining that power. I was going to tell you and Clara tomorrow at our family meeting. I know it's difficult for you, he said. You've always been the jealous one, I imagined him thinking. You're not emotionally mature enough to deal with another wife. This will be the lesson you need to overcome your inadequacies. Our family is perfect, I said. Are Clara and I not enough for you? I loathed myself for saying it. Loathed how panicky and vulnerable I felt. I wished I could have as generous a heart as Clara. Angus looked unhappy. It wasn't the first time I had disappointed him and my cheeks burned with shame. Please remember who we are and why we do this, he said. We are following the word of God. I respected Angus deeply but I disliked it when he brought the Lord into our arguments. If God was on his side, who could argue? God didn't choose Ruth Ann, I said. I felt the scorpion sting of my spite. Of course he did, said Angus. This is the Almighty's plan. Why else would she be in our lives? My skin continued to burn and my throat swelled with all the angry words I could not utter. I grabbed my pillow and stalked out. He can sleep alone tonight, I thought, just him and his almighty. Clara was peeling potatoes when I joined her in the kitchen. I washed my hands and got to work. There was a lot of chopping to do in a household of ten people. I thought, not for the first time, that soon we'd have to invest in some industrial-sized food appliances. As it was, cutting onions would leave us half blind with tears. My five-year-old said it made his eyes melt which gave Clara and me a good chuckle. She rolled out the pie pastry dough on the counter and sprinkled it with flour. I didn't know where she learned to cook, but she was a natural. I had once told her that being a housewife was a waste of her talents. She had laughed and said real work happened at home, that no other job would have as much meaning or impact as being a wife and mother. I envied how she never seemed to long for more. I swept the vegetable peels into the compost bin and wiped down the counters. It's not that I didn't like cleaning. It was just that I felt I cleaned the same things a hundred times a day. I secretly looked forward to the time the children would fly the coop and the clean things would stay clean. Keep those bones, Clara said, and I frowned at her, raw chicken bones in my hands. Throw them into that pot on the stove. It'll make a good broth. Clara's chicken broth was famous in our 400-strong gated community. Cooked with organic garden produce and seasoned with love, it was said to cure everything from head colds to depression. I wish I could cook like you, I said. You have your talents, Clara said. She winked at me and slammed the oven door shut. Do I? It doesn't seem that way. Sometimes I felt like a cheap knockoff of Clara, a flawed copy. Angus proposed to Ruth Ann, I said. She said yes. Clara froze for a moment, 
then took off her apron and folded it neatly away. Yes, he told me. Clara, I said, you know it's not a suitable match. I know that Angus loves her, she said. It's not up to Angus, I said, then looked around and lowered my voice. It's supposed to be a family decision. Angus is the head of the family, she said. We stared at each other, and the broth boiled over on the stove. While Angus and Ruth Ann said their vows, with Clara and I as matrons of honour and witnesses, I gazed at my husband, remembering our own wedding day. It had been a similar setup: a small gathering in the local church, a simple white dress that my mother had sewn, and a gold ring on my finger. I loved him and Clara so much, I was sure I'd be happy. Standing there at the altar for the second time, I felt that happiness slipping away, and I was powerless to stop it. I'd always been taught to forgive, to look for the good, to keep peace in the home. So when Angus insisted on marrying Ruth Ann, I forced all my feelings down until they formed a permanent heaviness in my stomach. Had my sense of freedom been an illusion? I knew people not of our faith found it difficult to understand polygamy. Some even thought of us as brainwashed, being kept under control by our manipulative husbands. But this was not the case in our family. We were bound by true, selfless love. Even if something happened to Angus, I was sure Clara and I would stay together. We have to make it work, said Clara, as we wilted at the modest wedding reception. We'd been cooking for hours the day before to have everything ready, and Clara had even made a cake. I sighed into my empty cup. I'd had a sleepless night, and the children's excited play outside grated my ears. It's hopeless. Nothing is hopeless in the eyes of God. I bit my tongue for what felt like the thousandth time. When Ruth Ann spoke to me, I smiled and replied in a gracious way, and Angus looked on approvingly. I prayed for patience and grace, and I begged God to open my heart. Ruth Ann moved in, and so did her ego. In her mind, being the third wife was a superior position. She was new. She was shiny goods. She'd clog up the shower drain with her long blonde hair and expect me to clean it. She delighted in scolding Smarticus, our beloved tabby cat. Ruthann wasn't interested in the children and refused to do any kind of childcare, citing her inexperience as a possible danger. If there was an extra cupcake, she'd eat it. We hadn't gained a sister wife, I thought. We'd gained another child and an ungrateful one at that. Angus was so blinded by her shininess that he didn't see the extra work Clara and I were doing. Every time I ironed Ruth Ann's clothes, I had the urge to scorch them especially her favourite top, which, though modest, was extremely flattering. There were other practical considerations too. We could no longer all fit around the massive dining room table. The top loader decided it was being overworked and gave up the ghost. Clara's favourite cast iron casserole pot was no longer large enough. When we bought another one, they couldn't both fit in the oven at the same time. We need a new oven, I told Angus. He looked surprised, perhaps by my business-like tone. We don't have the money for a new oven, he said. You should have thought of that before you decided to marry another wife, I thought. You should have thought of the implications. Make a plan, I replied. I knew I was being cheeky, but I didn't care. My resentment had hardened me.
despite my prayers. The next week, Clara was thrilled when Angus came home with a new oven that was twice the size of the old one. Later, I found out the money had come from our allowances and I bit down hard on my rancor. Clara and I had been scrimping for months to afford a weekend away together, which was our annual tradition, but now the account was empty. When I confronted Angus about it, he shrugged. I made a plan. I prayed very hard that night. While Angus and Ruth Ann's relationship bloomed, ours faltered. When I was in bed with my husband, I imagined he wished I was Ruth Ann. I felt self-conscious about my body for the first time in years, pulling the comforter up to cover my stretched skin and sagging breasts. I no longer wanted to pleasure him because my heart was full of bitterness. It became a vicious circle, and after a while, we stopped making love. Sometimes I wished that it wasn't my turn with Angus, even though my bed was already empty two weeks out of three. Sometimes I wished he and Ruth Ann would move out and live somewhere else and leave us in peace. My resentment towards Ruth Ann didn't go unnoticed. Clara implored me to leave it in the hands of God and Angus called a family meeting so we could discuss my behaviour. My behaviour? I asked. What about Ruth Ann's behaviour? What about the way she never helps around the house, never speaks to the children, never does a load of washing? Ruth Ann is still settling in said Angus. It's the honeymoon period. It was the same with you. I looked at Clara, who nodded. It's the same with every new wife, she said gently. I made concessions for you. I cooked for you. I gave you unlimited access to Angus. I remembered. It was true. Give it time, said Clara. You'll see. We'll all be settled in soon enough. But for once, Clara was wrong. Anyone who expected Ruth Ann to start chipping in was sorely disappointed. She'd leave dirty mugs all over the house, plates with crumbs, candy wrappers. She began to put on weight because she'd lie and watch TV all day while we worked to keep the machine of the household running. There was always more to do, but Ruth Ann was on a permanent holiday. Once, I vacuumed under her feet and accidentally rammed her just-painted toenail. I was getting so clumsy. I dropped her pancakes on the floor one morning. No one was watching, so I just loaded them back on the plate. And I did eventually scorch that flattering top of hers. No matter how hard I prayed, the clumsiness still remained. When Ruth Ann complained to Angus, he replied that it was time she began to wash and iron her own clothes, and running a vacuum around the house now and then would not go amiss. Bless her heart. Clara and I used to say to each other when we were annoyed with Ruth Ann. Ruth Ann's behavior deteriorated. Her moods would swing wildly from manic to depressed, and she'd stay glued to the couch for a week. On one of these days, we ran a deep, salted bath for her and let her soak. Clara washed Ruth Ann's hair, which she had impulsively cut short with the kitchen scissors a few days before. Her unpredictability unnerved me. She needs medication, I said to Angus. Leave it in the hands of God, he replied. He had been distracted lately. Work had been demanding. His second wife was no longer appreciative of his advances, and his third wife was proving difficult to manage. I scolded myself for the pleasure I felt in Ruth Ann's pain. Schadenfreude, they call it. I knew it wasn't virtuous, 
but I couldn't help feeling that little stab of spiteful enjoyment I got from seeing the shininess erode to rust. On a day she couldn't keep still, Ruth Ann left her couch and came to watch the children playing outside. Angus had built them a beautiful treehouse, which they spent hours scaling the tree to reach, then squealed down the slide or climbed down the knotted rope that hung from the timber beams. It was a cheerful scene, until I saw Clara's three-year-old daughter, a daring girl who enjoyed rough and tumble with her brothers, wrestling with my son at the entrance of the treehouse. They were arguing about whose turn it was to slide down. Stop, I called as I raced over. Mary, Jonathan, stop! I didn't get there in time. My son, who at five was twice the size of Mary, pushed her aside, not realizing she'd tumble off the side. She hit the ground with a thump and an eye-watering crack. Then there was silence. I gasped, glancing up at my son. Realizing what he had done, his hands flew up to his mouth and his eyes filled with horror. As I reached Mary, she began to wail, and I thanked God she was still alive. The silence had been terrifying. Jonathan rushed down the slide to join me as I picked the screaming child up. Call Clara, I told him. Tell her to bring the keys for the truck. We need to get Mary to the hospital. Jonathan, white as new snow, turned to run inside, but Ruth Ann caught him by the ear. You evil child, she said. Look at what you've done. Mary was screeching, so I wasn't sure I'd heard correctly. Ruth Ann, I said, let him go. With her left hand, she let go of his ear, and with her right, she slapped my son so hard that he fell. The sound of the blow was louder than that of Mary's arm breaking seconds earlier. I wanted to scream. God help me. I wanted to hit Ruth Ann back and see her lying on the ground. Instead, I stood rooted to the spot, pinned down by the trauma of the moment as my son sobbed into the grass. Clara ran out of the house, and when Mary saw her, she cried louder and started kicking. Hannah, she cried, out of breath. What has happened? You're as pale as death. I hung on to the struggling toddler. We need to get to the hospital, I said. In the family meeting, we discussed what had happened that day. Mary was sleeping in Clara's arm, a clean white cast over her broken arm. Jonathan sat next to me, his swollen face contrite. Angus looked disappointed in all of us, although... I couldn't say why. It was an unfortunate incident, he said, putting down his mug of coffee. My angry words bubbled up. I couldn't help it. Even prayer wouldn't keep them down. Ruth Ann needs to know that she can't hit the children, I said. It was the mildest way I could put it, and every word took effort. As a member of this family, Ruth Ann is allowed to discipline the children, said Angus. In fact, it is expected of her. Discipline? I demanded. That wasn't discipline. That was abuse. Look at him. Look at my son's face. Jonathan was about to start crying again, so I pulled him up onto my lap and hugged his little body to mine and kissed his hair. If my hands were cool, I would have put it on his swollen cheek, but my whole body was hot and bothered by the emotion eddying inside me. Angus sighed. It was his way of asking us to calm down. I felt the opposite of calm. I wanted Ruth Ann out of our house and out of my life. Your son broke Mary's arm, said Ruth Ann. He has to learn there are consequences. They were playing, I shouted. It was an accident. I looked at Clara, 
thinking she would want me to settle my emotions, but she was staring blankly at the table, still shocked by her daughter's injury. It had been a difficult afternoon at the hospital. People not of our faith often treated us like aliens or foreigners who didn't understand English or science. We're going to have to x-ray her arm, the nurse had said. Do you know what that is? I've got a painkiller here for your daughter. Do you consent to this medicine? I hesitated on that one. People of our faith weren't allowed pain medication. We were supposed to embrace pain and the lessons contained therein. Unless the condition was life-threatening, we weren't allowed medicine at all. Clara and I had discussed it on the way to the hospital. A plaster cast wasn't really medicine, we agreed. It was a tool, a prop. It was temporary. It wasn't strictly medicine, but we'd keep it hidden from the other townsfolk just in case. We'd make sure Mary wore long sleeves to church. A painkiller, ma'am, repeated the nurse. Is Mary in pain? I asked. The nurse sighed and placed a liver-spotted hand on her generous hip. I wouldn't be asking permission for pain medication if she weren't in pain. I looked around sharply, searching for Clara, who had gone to the bathroom. Yes, I said softly, nodding at the nurse. Please, give it to her. I hoped she'd forget to write it on the chart. I didn't know if Clara blamed me. I had been the one looking after the children, and it was my son who pushed Mary. She avoided eye contact at the family meeting that night. Clara, I said. I needed to know that our relationship was okay. She looked up at me and blinked as if waking from a daydream. Smarticus wound his tail around my legs and meowed. Angus sighed again and pinched the bridge of his nose as if a headache was approaching. The fact that the head of the house was not saying anything intensified my anger, and I felt like I might explode. Instead, I stood up, still clutching my son, and looked Ruth Ann directly in the eyes. Ruth Ann, if you ever touch a hair on any of our children's heads again, I will make sure you are sorry for it. Clara kept staring at the table. Ruth Ann pursed her lips and glared back, so I left the room taking Jonathan with me. My son's bruise faded, but he refused to look at or speak to Ruth Ann, and he wouldn't let me leave the house if she was there. I had to take him grocery shopping, which was already a momentous task. The cashiers always eyed us suspiciously as we loaded dozens of loaves of bread and packets of fruit onto the counter. You're throwing a party? she asked. Nope, I said. They always had something to say. You're too skinny to eat all of that. You sure like bread, huh? And you got enough cheese right here to start a cheese factory. You're opening a restaurant? I left my white hair cap in the car, hoping to blend in more than the other shoppers. But my waist-long hair and homemade dress still gave my faith away. It didn't help that Jonathan stared back at the people who looked at us. Why do they look at me like that, Mama? Because you're special, I said. Now pray that there's a sale on in the fruit aisle and I'll buy some extra bananas. When Mary's cast came off, the children celebrated. My daughter Sharon made her a flower tiara from daisies and ivy and they sang a song thanking God. It was a sign to me that I needed to have an open heart like them. And I committed to myself and the Lord that I would forgive Ruth Ann for striking my child and treat her with the same generosity of spirit that Clara showed me.
Unfortunately, God had other plans. The sun was sinking, and the hills that surrounded our compound turned a delicious gold-tinged pink. Even the graveyard looked romantic, its simple tombstones brushed with marmalade hues. I was feeling more positive than I had in ages, and after helping Clara prepare the evening meal, I skipped outside to tidy up the toys the children had left in the garden. Ruth Ann was supposed to be bathing them, but I saw her in the yard with Malachi and Becky, Clara's four-year-old twins. The three of them were crouching over, studying something. I guessed it was some plant or animal, and I let them be. I tidied the sandpit and pulled over the tarpaulin to protect it from the elements and Smarticus, and wheeled a couple of bikes to the bike rack. Mum, said Malachi, Clara's son. I had a soft spot for him, and I liked it when he called me mum. Not all the kids did, even though Angus insisted. Mum, he said again, come look here. Ruthann looked up at me and smiled. It was almost dark, but the moon was bright. The valley we lived in always felt closer to the stars than anywhere else in the world. I took a moment to breathe in the beauty and enjoy the peace in my heart, then walked over to them with a wide smile. I approached with caution, hoping it wasn't a snake or a spider. Malachi pointed a gun at me. I recognized it immediately as Angus's revolver, which was kept in the family safe and only to be taken out in true emergencies. I wanted to think it was a toy, but we didn't allow play weapons. Malachi aimed it at me and pulled the trigger. Bang, bang, he said, and I flinched and he laughed. <laughs> Got you, mum. I shot you dead. I wrenched the gun away from him with shaking hands. What's wrong with you? I demanded, first from Malachi and then Ruth Ann. Malachi looked hurt. We were just playing with it, said Becky. Adrenaline was flooding my body. My shaking worsened, the gun bouncing in my hands. What is wrong with you? I asked Ruthann. Are you insane? Ruthann laughed in a way that irritated me so much. Brashly, loudly, as if hurling an insult through the air. Relax, she said. It's not loaded. I clicked open the barrel and checked. There were no bullets. Get inside, I told the twins. When they tried to argue with me, I cut them down with a searing stare. I left Ruthann standing there in the dark and marched straight to Angus. I want her out of this house, I seethed. All the kindness and compassion I'd been cultivating flew straight out of the window. Either she goes or I do. This is extremely upsetting, said Angus, checking the gun and putting it back into the safe. I saw him change the password. This is just a terrible thing. I'm sincere, Angus, I said. If you choose her, I'm leaving, and I'm taking my children with me. Please said Angus. I can see you're upset. I am too. Malachi could have shot Becky, I said. He could have shot me. God spared your lives. God wouldn't have to spare our lives if Ruth Ann hadn't put us in danger. I was shouting, and I didn't care. This is something we can work through as a family, said Angus. It's a teachable moment for Ruth Ann. Angus, I said, and my body shook all over like I had never experienced before. I'll be packing my bags tonight. Please, said Angus, don't do this. I stabbed my chest with my finger. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing any of this. Ruth Ann is doing it. She's been a force for destruction since the moment we met her. 
That is indeed how I saw her. A tornado that would soon raise our house and everyone in it. Angus could stand by and watch if he wanted to, but I was going to save my children. Angus and Ruth Ann had a noisy argument. Ruth Ann had no qualms about shouting at Angus, which was the only thing I liked about her. We heard snippets of the fight through the walls, and some of the smaller children cried. Clara watched me pack, begging me to reconsider. I'll think of something, she said. I'll keep us safe. You can't, I said, zipping a bag closed. It was difficult to pack when my vision was awash with tears, but I had made up my mind. I kept imagining what would have happened if there had been bullets in the gun. Hannah, she shouted, and I snapped out of my emotional blaze and dropped the bag. I collapsed onto the floor and began to weep. Clara kneeled and embraced me. Don't leave me, she said. I love you. I'll always love you. We hugged harder than ever until the tension left my body and I was exhausted. Then she put me to bed and tucked me in as if I were one of her children. I didn't see Ruth Ann the next day or the next. When I asked the children, they said she was sleeping. Maybe she felt bad about what had happened, or perhaps she had had some kind of psychotic break. I was glad not to see her. Clara dutifully took her meals three times a day on the dinner tray decorated with farmhouse animals. Most of the meals came back untouched, but Clara was not discouraged. On the third day, she made her famous chicken broth served with freshly baked bread, and the bowl came back empty. My bags were still packed. I hadn't yet decided if I was going to follow through with my plan to leave. We already did so much work for so little money. Perhaps a nice town somewhere would be better. But then I'd gaze at Clara and our children, and I couldn't imagine a life without her. In the middle of the night, I stole into her bed and snuggled into her. I love you, I said, and she kissed me. Seeing as though the chicken broth was the only thing that Ruth Ann would eat, we made a huge pot of it for the week and stored it in the cool room. The children were told not to touch it. With forgiveness and patience I admired, Clara warmed a portion of soup every mealtime for Ruth Ann. She bathed her and dressed her in clean pyjamas and spent hours reading scriptures to her. Despite the care being shown, Ruth Ann's condition worsened. Soon, she complained about loud noises when there were none and said her body was afflicted with pins and needles. Her skin had an awful colour, cooked oats, and her hair began to fall out. She needs a doctor, Clara and I said to Angus. Leave it in the hands of God, he said. What if we had left Mary's broken arm in God's hands, I asked. I had by then become more forceful in my dealings with my husband. I had stayed quiet for too long not causing trouble, not making a fuss, not rocking the boat. Mary's arm was broken, said Angus. Ruth Ann just needs our prayers. Clara and the children prayed by her side, asking God to heal her disquieted mind. Some days she would seem better, and I became suspicious that she was feigning her illness to avoid housework. But then a day or two later, she'd be cold and sweating or vomiting into the bucket beside her bed. She's getting worse. Clara peeled off the rubber gloves she had been wearing to scrub Ruth Ann's bathroom. She smelled of bleach. Clara called a family meeting. She should be at the hospital. Her condition is deteriorating. 
Ruth Anne will be well again in time, said Angus. Perhaps this is the Almighty's way of allowing her time to consider her behavior. You think God is punishing her? I asked. The thought had occurred to me too. I cannot say what our Lord's intentions are, said Angus. I can only say that his will is my command. We prayed together, then moved to our rooms. Clara helped me unpack my bags. Ruth Ann continued her downward spiral. We intensified our prayers and readings from the scripture. The pastor came by to bless Ruth Ann and give her the holy sacrament. Just like I had felt my happiness slipping away when Angus and Ruth Ann became engaged, now I felt Ruth Ann's life slipping away. Shall we just put her in the truck? I whispered to Clara. We can take her to the hospital before anyone knows what we've done. We'll be excommunicated, said Clara. It's not our way. Angus has spoken, and it is in the hands of God. Besides, Ruth Ann should be with her own people at a time like this. You know what the others are like. They don't understand us. I still thought I should just take her, but then I remembered the judgmental looks we got while shopping, the questions, the interrogating stares. I couldn't imagine Ruth Ann staying in a hospital with all those strange, suspicious people around her. There was more chance of her getting better in her own bed, surrounded by love. Clara, exhausted by an all-night prayer vigil the night before, fell asleep before lunchtime. So I let her rest, fed the kids, and went to fetch some chicken broth to warm for Ruth Ann. When I opened the door to the cool room, an empty porcelain bowl in my hands, I saw that our greedy tabby, Smarticus, was lying in the corner. Oh, you naughty cat, I said affectionately. How did you get locked in here? Smarticus was an expert at stealing fresh cream from the pail. When he didn't move, I walked over to pet him. As soon as I touched his fur, I drew back with a gasp and dropped the bowl. It smashed on the cold concrete beneath me. I began blinking rapidly, perhaps from the shock, and was about to call Clara when I remembered she was asleep. I touched Smarty again and recoiled again. His body was already stiff. I looked at the container of chicken broth and saw the telltale signs of feline tampering. The cat had managed to help himself to some of Clara's famous chicken broth. My heart was hammering as I swept up the shards of porcelain and binned them. I fetched an old frayed towel and wrapped Smarticus up, carrying his small body like a baby. I took him outside, where I buried him in our family graveyard, where we'd all end up one day. The people not of our faith didn't like it, but we didn't register births or death in our compound. Our leaders said it was no one's business but our own. I watched the sky as it turned from blue to pink to fiery orange, and I decided to leave the matter of Clara's chicken broth in the hands of God. <laughs>